Hello, and welcome to Future Intended, where we share stories about people and programs supported by Hamilton Community Foundation. The title comes from our tagline, History Made, Future Intended. We've been driving positive change in Hamilton since 1954, and we're ready to do it now and forever. Every November, Canadians mark Philanthropy Month. It's a time to reflect on what it means to give, why we do it, how we do it, and what we have to give. The inspiration to give comes from different places. For some, it's an impulse of compassion. For others, it's the way they were brought up. And of course, there are billions of people around the world who answer the call of their faith through charity. Many religions include doctrines that obligate their followers to give or encourage them to give voluntarily. In this episode, Terry Cook sits down with two faith leaders to talk about what it means to give within their respective traditions. Rabbi Daniel Green of Adas Israel Synagogue in Hamilton discusses the concept of tzedakah in Judaism and the link to social justice and charity. Imam Hossam Halal of the Islamic Society of North America in St. Catharines discusses how Islam links charity with truth and love. Today, I think, is going to be a special episode. Uh, November is Philanthropy Month in Canada. And uh, for many people, um, philanthropy is inspired and nurtured by roots in faith. And our two guests today are are two leaders of different faith communities. And I've met them um, in an interesting celebration that happens uh, at the YMCA Annual Peace Medal, in which each of you have been called to both bring greetings and, and lead our community in prayer uh, with a focus on bridge building and understanding. Um, and, and it's both uh, been a moving experience to watch that, but I think it's, it's a powerful message to our community. Mm-hmm. So let me uh, uh, welcome both of you. Uh, Rabbi Daniel Green from Addis Israel Synagogue uh, in Hamilton and uh, Hossam Halal. Uh, M.M., um, you are the chaplain at Brock and the leader of the Islamic Society of North America. Mm-hmm. I always like to start with some biographical stuff. And uh, Rabbi, I'm going to start with you because I actually knew your dad, uh, and he was a remarkable uh, faith Thank leader and, uh, and I would say activist, uh, uh, challenging often a young counselor in the West End that I was uh, a long, long time ago. And I, I, uh, I enjoyed our relationship very much, and it's been good to get to know you, but you're second generation uh, leading your faith community. Talk to us a little bit about how you came to do the work that you're doing. Well, very much uh, just in line in terms of what you're saying also, that um, I was born in not only the cradle of Hamilton, but also in the faith business here as well. And uh, I learned from the best, and it became a love and a passion, and I made my way through New York for many years. I was in Israel as well, and I was based in Manhattan, but uh, I guess Hamilton is at my heart, and this is where I came back to. And it's an honor to also perpetuate a legacy as well. So you have all the flavors of what makes something sweet. Wonderful. You're also second generation as a faith leader, not necessarily in the faith community you're now leading, but your, your, your dad both brought your family here and I think inspired some of, of the leadership that you now provide. Tell us a bit about that. Absolutely. So I was actually in uh, UFT 
going towards medical school. Mm-hmm. And once I got my admission, I had to basically take an elective. And when I took the elective, it was in um, Islamic studies. And that reignited my passion uh, for the faith um, and also gave me an opportunity to serve uh, within, because I had to do some volunteer work, to serve in the community, uh, to do some volunteering, some counseling. And that's when I decided, you know what, there's such a big gap in the community that medical school would be a great self uh, achievement, but I think it's a greater moral responsibility to serve as a religious leader. So I made the decision. Uh, I had been studying, of course, up to then. When I told my father, he was, of course, not quite happy. As you can imagine, you know, religious leaders uh, are heavily overworked, underpaid, especially in the Muslim community. Well, and, and every immigrant parent, if I might say, wants the kid to be a doctor or a lawyer. Of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. No, of course, that, that was <laughs> it, yeah. I actually come from a family of doctors and educators, so I had yeah. no choice except to Indeed. be a doctor and educator. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but it was as it was, do I, and I took a wrong turn into politics. But we don't have time for that. Yeah, it was yeah that that was a decision. Yeah. Made the decision to serve and have have been blessed with with that gift of service. So I want to ask, I put you both on the spot. Quick reflection: following in the footsteps of a parent um, can both be a great opportunity, but it equally opens itself to challenge because you inevitably mm-hmm. are held to a standard based on the the family history. And talk a bit about that. First of all, I did not have the temptation of turning down medical school to take this <laughs> position. I just want full disclosure. We'll check your transcripts. <laughs> yeah, not, not my, uh, not my challenge. Yes. Not my challenge. But yeah, I think that's uh, that in life, it's it's very difficult, particularly when you follow great men right. and great parents and great role models to even try to enter into those shadows. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that may have been one of the hardest steps in mm-hmm. terms of. Uh, pushing forward in life, but ultimately speaking, mm-hmm. you don't fill anybody's shoes. You just have your own shoes and you got to make your own tread marks. Mm-hmm. And there's different ages, there's different challenges mm-hmm. and just trying to bring the best that you personally have yeah. to that equation and hope that resonates. I'm and still we, here. And we, make, and we make our own mistakes. <laughs> make lots of our own mistakes. Yeah. yeah. Same question. Yeah. For me, it was, it was interesting because um, I, I grew up in a community uh, and in a time where many people are questioning faith, right. having doubt in faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, many people are, are turning towards atheism or agnosticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I grew up in a family which exemplified and embodied that faith. So for me, it wasn't, it wasn't a question, it was a lived reality. Um, and having seen my father struggle, because when he came here, there was a language barrier, the culture barrier. I saw that he has a great message that was embodied in the house, all these great lessons but there was a struggle to communicate that message forward. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was, it was more of a continuation of, of the legacy. That you know what, he has such a great uh, knowledge, uh, you know, pool of information that he was able to transmit to me and of course other teachers as well. But I found that I could do a better job at translating that to the context that we're living in, uh, having grown up and spent most of my time now here in, in Canada. So it was a continuation of the legacy. Um, let's, let's talk for a minute about the effect on a faith on community, because you know you've mentioned that there are lots of young people that have left course, different yeah. faiths because they see it being misused to divide communities. And and one of the things that has struck me, frankly, watching both of you in your leadership, is a conscious effort to reach beyond your faith community and 
to build bridges of understanding. And at a time in which, frankly, both synagogues and mosques have become the site of both uh, acts of hatred and, and, and violence, I, mm. I can only imagine that uh, that's increasingly complicated and also that your faith communities would be experiencing that in a way that would make them feel vulnerable. So talk about the responsibility of faith leaders to speak honestly to our broader uh, obligations to community. And then a little bit about um, what it's like to be members of your faith today when they're witnessing acts both in Canada and around the world that would make them uh, feel persecuted and vulnerable, which has, there's a long and, and frankly complicated and sad history of that in both cases. So, Rabbi? A lot so, to unpack there, no, I know. No, no, it's a I, I, I think that we all recognize there is more hate right. that's in the world today, certainly more than in the past few decades. And if you try to identify what is it exactly, I think we're dealing with fragmentation mm -hmm. and tribalization. And this is across the board. And it doesn't know any political extremes. People are just somehow coming together in their own groups and not having tolerance for any views mm -hmm. that aren't like theirs. And this is symptomatic in every slice of society that you find yourself. And it's so important in today's day and age to be able for people to see beyond that, to be able to listen to another point of view mm -hmm. and to be able to see the image of God in each and every person. And I, th I think if you look in the Bible, when it speaks about love thy neighbor as thyself in the book of Leviticus, that it's punctuated by the words, I am God. And the question is, what does love thy neighbor as thyself have to do with I am God? So the only way you can understand I am God yeah. is by loving people. And God says, if you love people, then you see me. If you don't love people, you don't see me. And I think that's the most important attitude, seeing that common denominator and having um, a vision that we can all get behind, which is bigger than our own fragmented realities we find ourselves in. So profound and true. Same question. I would resonate, of course, and echo what the rabbi has said. Uh, but I would add that one of the struggles of young people is the language of religious leadership is sometimes so abstract and it's so suspended from the practical reality that it's sometimes difficult to relate to. And I think this is where Islamic history has you know, something to add to the conversation because um, most of the religious leaders that have you know, contributed to the discussion were not just doing religious leadership for, you know, for um, a living, they were doing something else. So most of them were businessmen who also you know, pursued religious studies. They were doctors, they were engineers, they were, um, you know, philosophers, thinkers, scientists. So, and that's what I'm trying to do in, in my own life, not get suspended from reality uh, by just tunneling my entire focus on religious studies and religious leadership, but allow my religion to, you know, hopefully, uh, that's the intent, to, um, you know, be spoken through the work that I do with the community. And I think that in itself has a much greater way of, um, of, of, of reaching you know, the public, reaching especially the young people. They don't want to be told this is right, this is wrong. They want to see it implemented through action. And I think that speaks um, volumes in, 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 in every aspect of one's life. And that, that for me is, is the reason why I followed my, you know, my father's footsteps, seeing the love that he has for other people, mm -hmm. seeing the love that he has for his family, 
the love that he has for the community, the love that he has for, you know, my mother, the love that he has for us. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, the, the concept of love, not just existing as, as a theory in, in, in mind, but existing as a lived experience is such a heavy thing, thing to see. Very, very powerful. Yeah. I, I want to talk now about how faith informs uh, both, frankly, your uh, message to your congregants and more importantly, the the history of philanthropy and, and charity within the context of uh, Islam and, and Judaism. And Rabbi Green, why don't you start? Sure. I think when you think about the concept of charity and giving, I think that it is so enmeshed in faith that it becomes almost the cornerstone of what faith is. Mm -hmm. That we believe that God created an imperfect world and we become co-creators with God. Mm -hmm. So when God gives it to the haves, it's to be able that they can be creators in the world around them. Mm -hmm. And it's a mindset. And if you fail to be charitable, you fail in the basic mission in life itself. And this is what God wants from us. And uh, the word for charity in Hebrew is the word tzedakah, which I just found out is also right, sure. similar in, yes. the, in the Arabic. And, then, and that means justice. Mm -hmm. So why would charity be justice. It seems to be right. a completely different sort of motif. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is it's a sense of justice because there are inalienable rights that everyone has. Mm -hmm. And when you are given blessing and bounty, if you don't share that, it's not even yours. Right. It's yours to give to other people. You've been given this great empowerment by God himself. But um, it's an empowerment that comes out of the sense of the rights of others around you and your lack of ownership over what God has given you and, in that and regard. Can I push you a bit further? Because in the world that I work and live in, um, frankly, there is uh, philanthropy that plays itself out in names on buildings. And I, yes. I've always said there's a place for that. And I except that, that for big institutions who need to build medical schools or libraries that perhaps you need donors to do that. And then there's a faith uh, that I witness almost every day of people who very quietly do important things, but in fact, uh, don't want any recognition. So where does the concept of reciprocity, recognition factor into the tradition of charity or philanthropy within your faith? I think there's two aspects to that. Maimonides lists um, eight different levels of what charity is. Mm -hmm. And the two, I think, most important motifs are dignity mm -hmm. to the receiver yep. and a sense of anonymity mm -hmm. of the giver itself. And I think those two somehow go hands in hands as well. But the more that we recognize, it's really not yours. Right. You were given this for a specific purpose. If you were the chair of a foundation mm -hmm. that you recognize, it's not your money. Exactly. It's, it's money that's there to be given out. And even in those situations, yeah. it's difficult yeah. to take ego out of the equation. Yes, it is. But this is part of the exercise that is just as important to the receiver as it is to the giver. But I think that dignity equation is more important than anything else. Mm -hmm. And the more that we can give out of our hearts mm -hmm. with a recognition that it's for others, the more it will be meaningful on all levels. Excellent. Same question. A little bit about the history of philanthropy within Islam. Sure. So when the Prophet Muhammad arrived uh, in Medina, 
Uh, he left, of course, Mecca. There was a lot of persecution in Mecca and a new community was established in Medina. The very first public address that he gave the entire community, he said, O people, which is very beautiful. He says, spread peace and share your meals and pray at night when the world is asleep, you shall enter paradise in a state of peace. And that becomes the essence, spread peace, not just a greeting, but in action. And the best way to, you know, he, he says in another narration that the best way to build love between people is again to spread peace and to share, to share gifts, to give from what God has given you. And again, it's important to remember that the word sadaqah itself, mm -hmm. uh, for us in the Arabic language, it means truth, truth. So when you give, you're being honest in your faith. You're being honest in acknowledging that God is greater than you, that God has given you everything that you have. And by giving, you're again giving, acknowledging that it's not yours, it is a responsibility that God has given you. Now, of course, we believe that God has created, um, you know, beauty and, and perfection in the world, but the the imperfections that exist in the world are human-made. You know, for example, we are the ones that, you know, divide wealth and, you know, mm -hmm. we're the ones that create social boundaries and limitations and things that, you know, socioeconomic limitations that prevent people, that allow certain people to have and certain people not to have. So we would look at it as Muslims, as it's our responsibility and duty to fix and to and, and to build and to bridge the gap between again what God tells us and the reality that exists on the ground in order to make again those who have more happy and more willing to give and those who don't have with dignity and, and, and respect again give them the ability to receive in the most beautiful of ways and actually you know you reminded me when you're talking about dignity there's so many beautiful things in Islam so many subtleties like when I'm giving charity I can't give with the with the upper hand because that assumes subconsciously a dynamic of power I have and you don't have. So when I give charity, if I have to give it publicly or I have to give it to someone without you know, making it you know, secret, I would have to basically extend my lower hand and the person that is taking would have to basically have the upper hand to remind them that you may be uh, getting something physical from me, but you're giving me something much greater, mm -hmm. which is the ability to invest in my relationship with God. So that's the, you know, that's the, the way that we look at it. And in terms of the second part of the question, balance in between encouraging others to give by being public mm -hmm. and also being private to maintain the dignity of the person receiving. There's a beautiful verse in the Quran where God says, if you publicize uh, charity with the intention of encouraging others, then great. But if you conceal it and ha have it you know, the, as a beautiful, genuine action that you did only for the sake of God, yeah. then that is even better. It's a higher virtue. Of course. Um, so Zadaka, and I'll probably mess up the pronunciation, is central to justice. And I, I do want to bridge into, so where does the notion of social justice and working to make changes in the here and now that will affect uh, people that have disadvantages or suffer oppression factor into your concept of, of the calling that you receive and of the work that your congregants are expected to do in our community? Yeah, so I think that certainly all part of the same parcel. When, when you speak about charity, for example, getting back to Maimonides, the highest form of charity is to enable someone to stand on their own two feet. So rather than a handout, be able to teach them a vocation so that they can be a giver themselves, this is the highest level. So I think that we you know, strive to build a world not where we are the givers, but to try to enable other people to be giving in the same sort of way. 
And getting back to something that we spoke about earlier, just we need awareness. And we have less and less awareness in the emerging generations as to the ability to feel empathy and the ability to even recognize what the needs are. We're looking at phones. We're not looking at people's eyes. and, and, And to compound it, we're looking at phones and engaging in social media where, in fact, the, the basic underpinning is that we speak to people who have the same views. And, and in fact, yes. the algorithms tend to, yes. conf- you know, they, they, they compound that problem. So in fact, we're not looking for civil disagreements or the ability to better understand with people of different perspectives. We're, we're in an echo chamber and, and that's dangerous to, I think, all oh, that we're talking is, about here. This is the challenge of our age, I Indeed think. Indeed it is. So we need awareness and, and we need the ability to care. And these are two skills that kids have to be actively taught. They do indeed. And it's interesting that part of what we've been doing with our youth is Mm -hmm. that we've been teaching them um, to have appreciation for those that are giving and are on the front lines. So we do um, meals for the first responders. Mm -hmm. We do meals for the care workers at the nursing homes. And it's a step which is a little bit removed, but it's a step that tries to teach them that this is an important thing to do, mm-hmm. not just from the receiving ends, but right. there are people out there that mm-hmm. are role models and have that sense of appreciation. Yeah. Critically important. Same question on social justice. Where does it fit in, in, uh, in the work that you do and, in, and within the religious history that course, you come from? It is, it is core. It is core. The justice, you know, social justice is the manifestation of faith. That's the way that we would look at it. When Islam came, the earliest things that Muslims tackled were social inequalities. You know, the inequality between the rich and the poor, uh, slavery, women's rights. Um, Those were among the earliest things that the Quran addresses if you look at the chronological um, revelation. Uh, And even within the Muslim community and outside the Muslim community, there's still a gap between the way things should be Mm -hmm. based on the text and based on a clear understanding of that. And of course, the reality of how things, you know, uh, can be. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, we as a Muslim community are, you know, um, are, are, you know, are, are perfect. Of course, we're not. You know, mm-hmm. there are many people. And this is a, it's a global issue now. Mm-hmm. There are many people who miss, you know, quote the text, and 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 with that comes, you know, a great level of devastation and destruction and violence, and that's reality. And we got to admit that. Mm-hmm. And of course, even on a personal and, and a communal level, we have, you know, Muslims who unfortunately are involved. In, in great injustices, you know, in the family, in, mm-hmm. in, in the street, uh, because of the failure to address and understand, um, you know, the, the Quran as it should be. And of course, because of all these other socioeconomic and political factors that are at, at play, including colonization and things like that. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I see myself as having a personal duty to, uh, towards my own community in terms of education, in terms of getting my own community to basically understand um, through action and through, again, uh, sermons and and. and and all of these you know, get things that we have to do as Muslims, uh, getting them to understand how much uh, gap there exists between you know, the way things should be and the way that we are right now. That's one. And then two, also advocating for my community and on behalf of my community so that they're understood, so that all these complexities that are happening within the Muslim communities are understood in, in, in the wider community and that we all can come together to basically give um, and also you know, empower ourselves so that we can continue uh, to give other people uh, around us, and I love, I love what you know, especially the point about um, you know appreciating those forgiving, because I, I'll give you an example. You know, in my own life, one thing that my mother taught me, and this is an Islamic value. 
She said at the end of every class or at the end of every year, go and appreciate the teachers that taught you. And later on, I, I sat back and I thought to myself, actually on, on the way here, I was thinking to myself, all these professors, all these teachers that I've had across you know, those many years uh, who have been a part of my success, including learning mm -hmm. English and all that. Yep. Um, it's, it's my duty and, and it's my hope that one day, hopefully in the next couple of years when I'm you know, more settled and finish all my education uh, goals, I want to go back and you know, say thank you to each and every one of them. And if I can't, maybe some of them may not be alive by that time, at least donate on their behalf yep. to basically uh, or do something in their name to show that appreciation and that gratitude. And that is something that we can all do on a personal level, Absolutely. on a very simple individual level. And of course, we scale from that. But there's a beautiful saying, and that is, the one who is missing something cannot give it. And I think a lot of young people nowadays, unfortunately, there is not that, um, you know, uh, that, that, that experience of, of, of love and selflessness. And everyone is so closed and everyone is kind of, you know, just there's this negative cloud of, oh, my, it's, it's, it's terrible. The world is such a mm -hmm. terrible place to live in. But there's a prophetic saying, and, and the Prophet Muhammad, he says, he says, that even if you have a seed in your hand and you hear the call to the end of the world, you know, the apocalyptic call, of mm -hmm. si some siren of some sort, still plant the seed. So that optimism, teaching young people to be optimistic, you know, not to hold on to this negative mentality if it's all doom and gloom. No, you have a responsibility and you can actually be either part of the solution or a part of the problem. So allowing them and teaching them to be optimistic, I think is a really important thing in, in current day and age. On a perfect note on which to close, because sadly we are out of time. Uh, but I'm, I'm really thankful that we've had the opportunity and uh, to Imam uh, to Halal uh, from the Islamic Society of North America and to Rabbi Green of uh, Addis Israel. Uh, I wanna thank you uh, both for the leadership that you provide uh, in your faith communities, but more importantly, across the board to our entire community. And uh, I get the, the high honor this year of being the MC at the Peace Medal Breakfast. I'm, and I'm hoping that I'll be able to appropriately thank and, uh, and recognize both of you in uh, bringing your important messages of inclusion and tolerance to, uh, to our wider community. Thank you for listening to Future Intended where we talk about the people and programs supported by Hamilton Community Foundation. We hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, hit subscribe to get future podcasts. Follow us on social media, subscribe to our At The Foundation e-newsletter for the latest news and stories, and visit our website at hamiltoncommunityfoundation.ca.